0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Now today's lesson is titled, The King is Coming, and it comes from Psalms 2. If you'd like to hear a previous lesson, you can listen online at our Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Again, that's www.facebook.com slash Radio Bible Class with no spaces. Also, you can tweet us on Twitter or follow us at Radio Bible Class with no spaces or me personally at TCarter12 and this radio station at WMER Worldwide with no spaces. Christian Radio is not free. If you enjoy this radio ministry, your offering to this ministry will aid in the expense of keeping the radio Bible class on the air as a witness for Jesus. By making a charitable contribution, you are helping reach people listening in our area and over the internet. You can make a donation safely and securely by calling us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information over the phone. Or send us your gift to WordTalk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Your gift, Word Talk talking, is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Hebrews 13:16 says, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Last week, we kicked off with the book of Psalms, and we're not going to go through the whole book of Psalms, but we're going to go through the first few of those. And today is a totally different direction in this Psalm than from uh, chapter 1. Psalm 1 was a psalm about our personal walk with the Lord. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm. What I mean by that is a psalm about the coming of the Messiah. This is a psalm that prophesies or talks about the coming Christ. Have you ever noticed that people make a big deal out of monarchies? I remember growing up and seeing all the people that got around the wedding of Princess Diane. And then just a year ago when... Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got married. A lot of that same type of energy. People staying up, getting up early just to watch the wedding. It's been over a year. And even today when I go to the grocery store and I look over at the tabloids that are sitting right there, you know, as you're getting in there to ring up your groceries, I see that there are still articles about that wedding, about their marriage. There are a lot of people that want to know that are interested in monarchy. This goes all the way back into the Bible, into the Old Testament, if you remember as Joshua was leading the children of Israel into the promised land. During that time, they were led by prophets, but as they got into that promised land, as they matured into that territory, they started looking around at all these other countries. They saw they had kings, and they became jealous. They wanted their own king, and they started bugging Samuel about a king. There was a plan all along for there to be a king for the children of Israel. But it wasn't the time when the children of Israel asked Samuel for it. If you go all the way back to Genesis, you'll see that Jacob prophesies about a king that will come out of Judah. But because the people of Israel were impatient, they weren't willing to wait on God, they got their king. They got it before God was ready for the man that he had for them and he was prepared to give them And so they got a king, but it wasn't from Judah. So Saul was given to them out of the tribe of Benjamin. And we know that Saul was anointed, but he went on his own will. He went out of God's way. He did it his way, and ultimately God's anointing left. David was to be that anointed king. As we look here at Psalm 2, it is David talking about the coming king or about Christ coming back again. It's prophecy of what's coming. And we see this same story that is told in Revelation. And this psalm is about Jesus Christ. It is about God sending in his son. And we should be excited about that. So what we see here is that the king is coming. I remember growing up listening to the Gaither vocal band and them singing, The King is Coming. The King is Coming. And I used to get excited about that. I still get excited about that song. I shouldn't say I used to. I still get excited about that song. The King is Coming and we should be excited about it. And so today we're going to look at The King is Coming and how David was inspired to write a psalm about that. Now some theologians say that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 originally went together. But Paul corrects that because we see that in Acts 13 where he quotes Psalm 2 and he says that it's Psalms 2. Psalm 1 was about individuals and it was about the path of the righteous and the path of the wicked. And we looked at that last week. If you haven't listened to that, I would urge you to go back on our Facebook page and go listen to Psalm 1. Psalm 2 is different in that it is to the nations. Psalm 1 was to the individual. Psalm 2 is to the nations. Also as I prepared for this lesson, one of the interesting facts I came across that if you look throughout the New Testament, you don't find Psalm 1 quoted at all. But if you look and do your study in the New Testament, you'll find Psalm 2 quoted 18 times, more than any other psalm in the New Testament. That's important because this is a messianic song. It points to the Messiah, its prophecy The other interesting fact that i'll tell you about is that paul gives david authorship credit and he does that in romans chapter 4. so david writes his psalm and he says that a king is coming and that is important for us to understand that is our blessed hope that we fall on you know a lot of times you go around you hear about how people talk about the church is dying how the church has sold out i say all that so you understand that that is not the case the book of Revelation says that Jesus is coming back for his bride. And so we know, if we believe the Bible, that Jesus is coming back. And this psalm points to that and it gives uh, pointing to the Messiah that's going to come back. What we need to also understand is that when the world rages against the church, when the world says that the church is in demise, that the church will not stand, that is not true. As there are rulers out there that are plotting against the church, as there are rulers that are taking away our liberty in Christ, where it's no longer going to be free, where we can do things like we do in the Americas today, God is sitting on his throne, and God is laughing at them. And we'll see that today right here in chapter two. So why don't we dive in? Turn with me to Psalms two. We're going to read the first three verses, and I'll be reading out of the ESV. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointing, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So in verse 1, it says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? Who are these nations raging against? They're raging against God. From this verse, we see that David is really mystified. He's saying, The nations have no reason to rage against God, and they have no benefit in raging against him. And their opposition against God will be in vain when they do. I'm not going to try to make this too political, but look, all all you have to do is go look at the United Nations and what they do and how they're against Israel, but they support terrorist groups like the Hamas. Leaders from around the world pick on Israel. And there's even a pastor in Turkey that has been thrown into jail. He's been in jail for two years. The charge against him is that he has been trying to Christianize the country of Turkey. He's not going to get a fair trial. John tells us in Revelation chapter 6 things aren't going to get better, they're going to get worse. And it sets up a situation where the Antichrist can come in. And in chapter 6, it says that the one, the Lamb, ripped open the first seal, and there came a rider on a horse, a white horse that had a bow. Now he doesn't have any arrows. And so this is the Antichrist coming, and he's going to bring peace and he's going to conquer. He's going to bring all the world together. He's going to make them look like everything is nice and peaceful. And there is coming a time where you are going to either have to make a stand for Jesus Christ, or you're going to have to oppose him. And John tells us that also in 1 John 2.23. Listen to what he writes. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses Son has the Father also. What John is saying is here, you either have to confess the Father, or you have to deny the Father. He says that if you deny Jesus, if you deny the Son, then you don't have the Father living inside of you. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You've not been saved. And David says in this psalm that the nations are going to rage against the church. That everything that the church stands for, the nations are going to rage against it. We as Christians have to be careful that we don't buy into the world's message, that we are doing something wrong that we are not being tolerant the bible is our standard and it does not change that standard has been set it's god's word and we are doing nothing wrong when we do what the bible says when we obey god's commandment we're not going to make people happy we're not going to make the world happy because why it's not us personally it's that there's sin in their heart there's rebellion in them and that's what david says right here the nations rebel against god so they're not rebelling against you, they're rebelling against the stand you make. In Revelation 16, we read about the battle of Armageddon and how all the nations are going to come together to snuff out Israel, to snuff out God once and for all. And in Revelation 19, it says that God comes on a white horse. Jesus is that, that is faithful and true, that he comes and he opens his mouth and he wipes them all out in one fatal word. It says out of his mouth comes a sword. Let me just tell you, we can't be discouraged. We can't let what we see on the news and what we hear discourage us because we know what happens in the end. We have the end of the chapter. We've already read it. We know that we win in the end. And also look what he says in verse 4. Look back with me at verses 4 through 6. And he who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in diversion. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So we see something here in scripture we don't see very often, that God is standing in heaven and he is laughing at these nations that are trying to divert and they're trying to stomp out Christianity. They're trying to stop his religion. He laughs. What this shows us is that our God is bigger than anything. God is above everything here on earth. And I'm not just talking about above in a physical sense, but I'm also talking about God is greater than anything. He is the creator of everything. How can the creation be greater than the creator? And David writes that he sits on his throne in heaven and he looks down at these feeble attempts and he laughs. I remember trying to get the kids in kids' church to understand that how much better God is than anything. And so we were talking about superheroes, and I said, "Batman, who is his nemesis?" And they said, "The Joker." I said, "Superman, it was Lex Luthor and his Kryptonite." And then I said, "Who is God's nemesis, his equal?" And they said, "Satan." And I said, "No, it's not Satan. That Satan was created by God. Satan is a being that God created, and he is not greater than God. He cannot create. God is greater than anything." And when we start to understand that God is over everything and we understand ultimately that he sits in the heaven and he looks at these feeble attempts and he laughs. Sometimes as we go through life, I think we think God is up there wringing his hands. He's pacing and he's saying, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I didn't know that was coming. God knew everything. The Bible tells us he knew and chose us before the world was ever formed. God sits as a great king with ultimate peace because he knows everything and he is over everything. Listen to what David wrote in Psalms 37, Psalms 37, 12 and 13. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. Think about all the rulers throughout your lifetime. Think back like Manuel Noriega, who now sits in a prison somewhere in Florida. All the stuff that he did down in Central America. Think about Hitler and Mussolini and what they did back in World War II and how they tried to wipe out the Jews. They're all gone now. Hitler, as bad as he was, he's gone now. And that's what David is saying here, that he was inspired to write that God sees that their day is coming. He knows that they're just a blip on the radar. They're here and then they're gone. No matter how bad they are, they're just here for a short period of time. You need to learn, you need to understand how big God is. Listen to what Isaiah wrote, what he prophesied and said. Isaiah 40, verses 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastland like fine dust he says that God sees the nations like dust on a scale they they don't matter they don't really change the weight they don't change the outcome God is so much bigger that the nations are just like a dust on a scale in that same chapter in Isaiah he even goes further to explain how big God is look at verse 22 and 23 it is he who sits above the circle of the earth And it is, inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spread them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. He says that he sits above the whole circle of the earth. He's bigger than the whole earth. Look, I don't want to turn this into a doom and gloom lesson, but things aren't going to get better. Revelation tells us things are going to get worse and worse and worse but we need to take strength in Isaiah. And he says that even though the nations are gonna rage against God, even though they're gonna rage against the king and the God that we stand for, that God sits over and circles the earth and the nations are just like dust. Understand that God sees the evil that these people and these nations commit and he will take his justice in his due time. Not in ours, but in his due time. So do you know how you walk through troubled times? Do you know how you walk through that valley of the shadow of death that, we, that we'll see in Psalms 23? You walk through a peace understanding who God is, how big he is, and how he has the whole world in his hand. If you want that peace that passes all understanding, first you have to understand who God is and how big he is. When we let something worry us, we say that it's bigger than God, and nothing is bigger than God. We need to learn and we need to understand that God is bigger than anything. And he sits above the circle of the earth. Now look back with me at verse 4, the second half of it. And the Lord holds them in derision. Now that derision or that word derision is a huge word that really just means mockery, that the Lord mocks them. What you and I need to understand is throughout time, throughout the centuries, there have been a lot of people that have opposed God and his kingdom and Jesus Christ. And each and every one of them has been frustrated and they've been crushed. Now, if you study church history or if you go back and look at church history, back in the 200, 300 AD, there was this Roman emperor named Diocletian. He was so determined against the Christians and to persecute the church that he said that he even defeated Christianity. He went as far to have medals with the inscription, the name of Christianity has been extinguished. Even with all his persecution against Christians, he is now dead and gone. He is a footnote on the pages of history. But Jesus Christ and the good news is still spread all over the world. You know, the ironic part about Diocletian and his footnotes in history is that after he died, there was another ruler. His name was Constantine. Constantine supposedly gave his life to Christ. There's probably no ruler in the Roman government that did more for Christianity. It's said that he gave money, he helped build churches, Constantine, undid everything that Diocleses tried to do. And I really like now how he finishes up in verse 6. Look with me. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God wants us to know that his king will be established and set in Jerusalem, Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Look, a lot of times you'll hear people say, why are Christians so pro-Israel? Well, Jerusalem is in Israel, and God's chosen people was Israel. They have been, and they always will be God's chosen people, whether they believe in Jesus Christ or not. Why is this important? Well, we see in verse 6, that my holy hill of Zion, my king will be there. When Jesus comes back, he will rule from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is also known as the city that sits on seven hills. If you go look at Revelation 17, it talks about the woman that rides on the beast or the Antichrist and that she sits on seven heads, which also talk about the seven hills that make up Israel. So Israel is a common place for the end time and then God says that his ruler, his king, will rule from from Jerusalem or Zion, which points to the seven hills. In these first six verses, we've seen how God has spoken. But in verses seven through nine, we get to see Jesus speak. We get to see the decree of the Son. Look with me at verses seven through nine. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nation your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. We go from these rebellious nations to God laughing at them and rebuking them now to his son. The anointed king starts off in verse 7 and says, I will tell of the decree. This is Jesus and he's saying, this is what my father has told me. If you look at that word, Lord, it's in all capital letters in your Bible. That means Yahweh. That means God. And here we see, he says, the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus steps out and he says, this is what the Lord said. You are my son. And this is what I say about. This is what I have decreed. So what's of the first thing he decrees, he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. If you look at that word begotten, it means you are the same. You are part of me. If you look at John three sixteen, where it says begotten, it is saying that he is the same. He has the same DNA. He is a part of him. So here we see begotten and that, that same DNA, that same nucleus, that he is part of the Lord. He is part of God. And look at the second part of the decree. He says, I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. So when Jesus comes back and when he rules, everything will be under his rule. He will be over everything. What Jesus is telling us here is that God has decreed that there is going to be a rain. And he is going to rain from Mount Zion. He's going to rain from Jerusalem. And there's going to be a peace. All that we lost when sin came in is going to go away. And we're going to be back like the Garden of Eden. We see that in Isaiah 11. If you look at verse 6 through Nine. It says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. What we see there from Isaiah, he's talking about all that we lost back when we had paradise, when the ox and the bear could graze together without the bear destroying the ox and eating him. When sin came in, we lost that. And sin came in and it changed everything. When God comes back, when Jesus puts his foot back down, when he takes rule in Zion, there will be a peace and everything will be restored back to the way it was and it was intended to be when God created paradise. Here's what we should learn from all this. I think what we should learn from Psalms 2 right here, what Jesus is saying is that there is a day coming where he will have control over everything. But right now we need to trust in him. We need to submit under his authority. We need to believe that he has our life and he has a plan for our life and he has all that under control. Doesn't matter how chaotic your world is, that he has everything under control. And when we understand that, we don't have to worry about anything anymore because we've submitted to his lordship and we've given everything over to him and we believe that he's bigger than everything. And so now we have that peace that passes all understanding. And we can just walk peacefully through the troubled times and then in verse 9 he says you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel and what he's saying here is that jesus will be just like a rod of iron and at any moment he can just crush he can break any of the nations just like a vessel breaks easily with a hammer so we get an image how easily that jesus will be able to crush these nations so we've seen the rebellious nation. We've seen that the Lord has laughed from heaven. We now have seen the decree. And how do we finish up? We see the result of our response. Look at verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in a way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. First, he says, be wise, O king. After he's given the warning to the Lord's anointed and what David says the kings will do as they try to defy the Lord, he gives them a warning. He says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing. He says, come to God and surrender to him. Give him the proper reverence. Submit to him. Surrender everything to him and rejoice, but do it with trembling. So right here in verse 10 and 11, he says that we are warned. And that we should serve the Lord, not out of obedience, not really out of fear, but out of love and not out of duty, not out of religion. But we should do it because we understand who God is and we should do it with joy and we should do it rejoicing, but we should be trembling because we understand who God really is. Now, if you listen regularly to the radio Bible class, you know that I talk about my dog Reese a lot. And Reese sees me as the pack leader. And you know what? She will do anything that I want her to do. She serves me, but she does it with fear and trembling. Now, I would never hurt that dog. I love that dog. I would do anything for her. I've spent way more money. It would have been cheaper to get a new dog. But that's not what I'm trying to get to here. What I want you to understand is that she respects me and she understands that any time I could hurt her, even though I wouldn't. And that's the image I want us to see of God, that he is such big, he's so good great. He's so huge. There's nothing that he can't do. He could crush us at any moment, but he loves us. Even when we didn't deserve to be loved, he sent his son to a cross to die for us, and we should serve him out of joy and understanding of who he is, not out of duty, not out of religion. Now, if you look at verse 12, he says, kiss the son. What does he mean by kiss the son? We don't really see a lot of that, but back in that day, there were kings and if you've ever watched a movie, you see people come before the king. And what do they do? They bow down before the king. A lot of times they kiss their hand or you know, they make some humble gesture. And that's what he's saying here, that it is a way to show the affection towards God and the relationship he wants us to have to him. He wants us to recognize his proper place and his authority. But he also wants us to rejoice in him and be affection with our relationship to him. And then he wraps up saying, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Those who defy God are broken. We've already said that. But those who depend on him are blessed. We looked at what blessed meant. They're happy. They have peace. And they walk in God's way. David challenges us today Do we want to leave and walk as a broken person or do we want to walk and leave with the choice of being blessed? I'm almost out of time, so let me close with this final thought. In movies, there are battle scenes, but before the battle scene starts, there are the leaders of the evil forces. They gather together. They plan their attack. They're sneering and they're raging as they prepare to take this army on or these forces on that are unmanned, that aren't aware what's going to happen. That really makes for a good movie when they do that. And it's really based on real life too. What we learn from Revelation is one day the nations will rage against Jesus and they'll plot his demise. They will conspire against him, declaring how they will divide and conquer. The world will agree and even many in the church will tremble. But God is laughing at them as he sits on his throne in heaven. As believers, even though it looks bleak, this should give us hope. Because one day, All will change. In the twinkling of an eye, the enemy will be defeated and peace will reign here on earth. David tells us right here in Psalms 2, Blessed are those who take refuge in the Son. For those nations that serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, they will be protected. Those nations that rage against him will be broken just like that pot of clay. Jesus is coming back soon. Don't lose sight of that and what will happen when he does. Keep your eyes focused on him. Understand who God is and how big he is, and that there's nothing that uh, can overtake him. And one day, he will ultimately rule with peace. And if he can do that, he can rule in your life right now. Will you submit to him? Will you give your life to him? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord, and we thank you for our time together. Lord, we thank you for Psalms too. We thank you for this messianic psalm, Lord, that talks about that the King is coming. And how he's going to come and he's going to rule. That the nations will rebel against him. But you laugh in heaven. That you're not worried. You knew all this before the world was ever formed. And that you have already said that your son will rule from Jerusalem. And it's left up to us. We have choice. We have a choice to decide do we want to live a blessed life following you? Or do we want to live a defeated life that will take us to destruction? Lord, I pray right now you're knocking on a heart. I can feel it. Or there's someone that maybe they've been worried about stuff. Maybe they didn't have the right view of you. Maybe they didn't understand or maybe they just let life overwhelm them. Lord, I pray today that they would understand who you are and they would submit to your authority. They would truly lay it at your feet and walk away, not pick it back up and put it on their back, but leave it with you. Lord, maybe there's one that doesn't understand any of this all, but they want to understand. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life, that they would repent, that they would say that I'm sorry for what I've done, and they would turn from that. It's not enough just to say that I'm a sinner, but we also have to turn from that sin. Lord, I pray right now that they would do that. They would make you Lord of their life. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give us. Lord, we're going to give you all the honor and glory and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.